1873 through 1877, there was a grasshopper plague in the Midwest. Specifically, I'm thinking about the state of Minnesota, who after several years of these grasshoppers eating all the crops, their economy was literally on the edge of collapse. It was a desperate situation. And in April of 1877, the governor declared a day of prayer and fasting for the people of Minnesota. He said, all businesses are to close, all schools are to close. Every man, woman, and child should fast and pray to the Lord that we would be delivered from this plague. And so, businesses closed, schools closed. I'm sure those, those students were, those kids were like, bummer, schools closed. They committed themselves to pray. Just believing that God was going to do something great. The next day, and for three days, they had unseasonably warm weather, which meant all of the larvae of the grasshoppers, that which were in the ground, hatched and multiplied their problem. You can imagine these people saying, God, we, we did what our leader said. We, we fasted, we prayed, and it got worse. What is happening? And then, without any warning, the fourth day, this cold front comes in and a frost goes across the entire state of Minnesota. In one night, killing all the larvae and setting them free from the plague. Now, our governors don't seem to call prayers days of prayer and fasting anymore. But I was struck by the fact that when they were in a desperate time, they knew to pray. And in order to be really serious about their prayers, to be attentive to the voice of heaven, to seek God and be sensitive, they decided to fast along with prayer. And Fasting is what we talked about just two weeks ago as I talked about Jesus going into the desert for 40 days to fast. And the scripture just simply says, and he was hungry. Of course he was hungry after 40 days. I love how understated the Bible is. And Jesus, as I talked about two weeks ago, and if you missed it, make sure you grab either the, the podcast or the video cast on YouTube or on Facebook. Because that message, very, very specific to identity and understanding that when we draw away into solitude, when we draw away into an obscure place, God begins to reinforce who we are and what our identity is. And so Jesus does this. He draws away and he begins fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, not so that he can be cranky about not eating food, but so that he will be strengthened by God so he could stand up under temptation and then also have the empower of the Holy Spirit working, living, making him more and more sensitive to be able to go start ministry. And that's what Jesus moves right into from those 40 days into ministry. Fasting is what we're talking about this morning. Fasting for the Jews generally meant abstaining from food, 
And sometimes actually even abstaining from water for 24 hours. And it seems that Jesus in, for his 40 days was fasting from food, not water. And yes, you can fast for 40 days and not perish. Although you should be careful before doing that. You should make sure that medically you're figuring some things out. Jenison Franklin said this. The son of God fasted because he knew there were supernatural things that could only be released that way. When I think about Jesus, I believe that Jesus did nothing by mistake. He didn't just like, well, it's kind of an extra thing. I'm just going to kind of do it. When Jesus does something, he's very purposeful about it. Even in his baptism, John the Baptist is protesting. We don't need to do this. And he says, no, we've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So there's a purpose in Jesus. And there's, Jesus understands that fasting helps to tune your ear to God. Now, the church is celebrating the season of Lent, or the Lenten season, and it began last Wednesday. Now, I was supposed to do this message last week, so I'm a little behind, a few days behind, but this is a time of 40 days of fasting to echo that 40 days or imitate that 40 days of Jesus fasting in the wilderness. And, of course, this is the 46 days prior to Easter and celebrating Easter. And so the way that Lent has worked over the generations and how we practice it here at Neighborhood Church is that you fast for 40 days, but you have these Sundays that are feast days where you stop fasting and start feasting. So today and next Sunday and the next Sunday after that and the next Sunday after that, those are days when you break your fast and you enjoy that food you've been uh, fasting from. Or you go ahead and you pop onto social media because you've been fasting social media. Or you jump onto Netflix and see a show because you've decided to, to fast from Netflix. Or you have that chocolate you've been fasting from. I don't know what your thing is. But these are feast days. So it's six days of fasting and then one day of feasting. Well, that sounds a lot like six days of working and one day of resting that we call Sabbath. So we're continuing our series, this absolutely delightful series, learning these unforced rhythms of grace. And as we look at the scriptures this morning, we're going to see that there's a fasting rhythm that God commands of his people. And it's been carried out throughout the centuries. Uh, we're going to consider the reasons for fasting. Why fast? And I want to challenge you to consider fasting during Lent, especially if you've never fasted before. This is a great time to learn, to grow, to experiment, and to begin fasting. So, for centuries, this is not a new thing. The church has practiced fasting, the Church of Jesus Christ, oftentimes during Lent, but then also Prior to Christmas, there was a, a, a fasting season in the, in the ancient church. And um, this guy, Jenison Franklin, wrote a great book about fasting. And he says this about fasting. The discipline of fasting breaks you out of the world's routine. As we're 
looking through this series about unforced rhythms of grace, it's, it's all about breaking away from the world's pace and the world's hurry and the world's demands and realizing that God has a different rhythm for us. And there is something about fasting. And now there are a lot of health benefits to fasting. I don't think I have to convince you of that. You can just Google it and about a million results come up about how healthy fasting is for you. But we're really not focusing on the healthy parts Um, physically this morning, we're focusing more on the spiritual purposes of fasting and what it does for us spiritually. As I've been just meditating on this now for a couple weeks, I, I kept coming up with this phrase right here about how I feel about fasting and what I think about fasting. And it, it just is simply this fasting is the intentional positioning of your heart for breakthrough to spiritual growth. It's the intentional positioning of your heart for breakthrough to spiritual growth. So I'm denying myself something so I can become more hungry for God and for his things. I'm intentionally positioning myself so that this can be a time of growth. I can have a growth spurt. The idea of Lent, even the word means to lengthen or to grow. This is a time, so supposed to be a time set aside for us to grow spiritually. Fasting's mentioned 17 times in the Old Testament and 21 times in the New Testament. So it's not just the Jewish people in the Old Testament, it's also the early church. So a definition of fasting from a biblical standpoint is just abstaining from eating food for a, spiritual t- for a specific time for spiritual purposes. So what are those purposes? Glad you asked. Purpose number one, humbling yourself before God. More than anything, when you look at the scriptures and you look at the idea of fasting, this is what you see. You have verses like Psalm 35, which says, I humbled my soul with fasting, David says. So there is a a humility that we begin to grow in and walk in as we fast. Ezra 8 says this, There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast. So he's saying, hey, y'all need to stop eating and start praying. So that we might humble ourselves before God. There it is. And a second thing, ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. With all of our possessions. Because I was ashamed. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road. Because we had told the king, the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and we petitioned God about this and he answered our prayers. What's going on? Ezra's like, well, I was really embarrassed to ask the king for some bodyguards. We already told him that God like had our back. So God, you gotta have our back. Now we're fasting and praying. God answers their prayer and helps them get back to the land. So there is a humbling going on, but there's also a petition. There's also a seeking God. So central to fasting, I believe, is seeking heaven's solution instead of figuring out by your own wisdom. So seeking heaven's solution. It's 
Fasting's about creating a dependent place with the positioning of your heart where we seek him for breakthrough. We ask for his provision. We ask for his way instead of making things happen in our own strength and in our own way. So humbling ourselves, first reason. Second reason, because God commands his people in the Old Testament to fast a few places. Let me show you Leviticus 16. This is a passage about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves, that's the word for fasting, and not do any work, so it's a Sabbath day as well, whether native-born or alien living among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. So there are moments where he's, God's commanding fasting. Zechariah 8. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. The fasts of the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So God's calling these fasts and he's calling them joyful, happy, festive occasions. Most people think about Lent and they think about fasting and they're kind of like borderline depressed. Like, I guess if I have to do it, it's like having to take castor oil or something like that. But that's not what these fasts were about in the Old Testament, nor is it what the church had in mind as it put in place the idea of Lent around 325. It said, this is supposed to be a joyful time. What makes it so sorrowful? Is it because we have Ash Wednesday and we're reminded of our mortality? That actually makes me joyful. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to stay on this earth that I can live for heaven instead of earth. Whew. And I'm filled with joy because as I fast and I'm getting sensitive, I'm getting more and more sensitive, I get closer to God. And guess what? In him is the fullness of joy. And his joy will be my strength. It's supposed to be a time of joy. If it's not, we're doing it wrong. So, humbling ourselves. God's commanding it. Number three. We have really good examples of godly people in the Bible showing us what fasting looks like. Moses, David, Elijah, Queen Esther, Daniel, Paul the Apostle, most importantly, Jesus. This is a rhythm that they entered into. Matthew 4, verse 1, when then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There it is right there. So there's a Holy Spirit released, Holy Spirit power released in him, in Jesus, through fasting. He knows that this is absolutely essential for him to be able to step into ministry. Gentison Franklin says this to this point. Fasting is what prepares you for a new anointing. Now this is kind of like Bible nerd speak for fasting prepares you to be ready to receive new strength, new gifts, new power to be able to walk into new ministry and new things. If you're moving into something new or a new season, fasting is a great idea. Certainly Jesus fasted 
on the prescribed fast days for the Jews, those seven public fast days, including Yom Kippur and potentially five other days. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day, we know, in Luke 18, verse 12, it talks about fasting twice a week. And we know that they fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. So it was a regular rhythm to the Pharisees that they would fast on these days. Just because Pharisees do it doesn't mean that it's wrong, by the way. Pharisees actually got some stuff right. There are some that believe Jesus was a Pharisee, that for a different day. Just a different kind of Pharisee. Now, Jesus is actually criticized about fasting in Matthew 9. Take a look at this. Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. Then John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, he has his own disciples, came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. So there's criticism about Jesus and his disciples that they're not towing the line on the Wednesday, Friday thing. They keep having dinner parties with tax collectors and all kinds of things. What's the deal? Jesus says, hey, well, while I'm here, man, we're going to party. We're going to eat it up. But when I'm gone, then my followers will fast. That's not a you better fast. It's they will do it. There's an assumption made. I believe that Jesus taught his followers to fast. Where do I see this? Well, Jenison Franklin points it out as well. Giving, fasting, praying. Three duties of the Christian are giving, praying, and fasting. Where do you find this? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. These are the three parts of Matthew 6. As if to say, hey, we know you're going to pray. So when you pray, hey, we know you're going to give. We know you're going to give to the poor and others who are, who are in need. Oh, and we know you're going to fast. So when you fast, Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there is a posture of obscurity baked into Jesus' understanding of fasting. This is not like, woe is me, I've been fasting for all these days and I'm so hungry and I'm so spiritual and I'm so holy. Nobody wants that. Just so interesting that Jesus' first mention of fasting is about motives on the why. And While this talks about fasting being an individual thing, I believe fasting is oftentimes actually a little bit more engaging for me when it's a team sport. When I'm fasting along with others and we're joining our hearts to ask God for something and seeking him for something and and worshiping him together. And that's the beauty of Lent. That's why Ash Wednesday was a service that we had. And if you were with us, what a beautiful time that we had. It was like 
just kind of like getting out of the starting blocks and starting together with others instead of wandering onto the race course and go, I, is this Lent? Should I start fasting now? But getting to out of the blocks. By the way, if you weren't there on Wednesday, today could be your starting day. Today could be the day that you get out of the blocks. Richard Foster, who wrote The Celebration of Discipline, says this. To use good things to our own ends is always the sign of false religion. How easy it is to take something like fasting and try to get God to do what we want. At times, there's such a stress upon the blessings and benefits of fasting that we would be tempted to believe that with a little fast, we could have the world, including God, eating out of our hands. He goes on to say this, fasting, if it's done at all, is usually motivated either by vanity, I want to lose some weight, or by the desire for power. I want, I want, I want. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. Fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not a, I'm not going to eat till you do what I want you to do, God. That's not what fasting's about. It's not about manipulating God to do what you want. It's about positioning your heart so that you can get breakthrough, so you can hear the voice of God, so that you would begin to pray the prayers that he's authoring in you and desire the things of heaven. So don't, we don't fast in order to get something from God. We fast in order to align our hearts with the Father's heart. That's what our friends Che An and Lou Engel would say from the call. Reason number four, going quick. Fasting must center on God. I love the example of Anna, who is a widow in Luke 2, verse 37. Jesus is born, and Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, and here's Anna. And verse 37, Anna was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. There is this devotion and worship in fasting that if you separate it from fasting, it just becomes about vanity or getting something. But when combined with worship is really a a beautiful seeking of God. Purpose number five, fasting draws you closer to God. There is great benefit in it, although we don't do it to get benefits. David Mathis and John Piper said these things. We fast because we've tasted and seen the goodness of God and are desperately hungry for more of him. John Piper saying Christian fasting at at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. God, I want more of you. I'm willing to deny myself so I can have more of you. So I can develop a hunger for the things of you and not the things of this world. And Jenison Franklin, fasting is not just a physical discipline. It can be a spiritual feast. This is why in John 4, when the disciples come back to the, to the well and Jesus is sitting there and they're like, Jesus, we got some food for you. He says, I got food you don't even know about. I'm feasting on the presence of God and what he has. 
Reason number six, when we fast, we get clarity from God and we're better tuned into his voice. We see in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, that the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, it says in verse 1, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. As a leadership community, they're fasting and praying and the Lord gives them a word. This is what they're supposed to do. Then what do they do? They go back to fasting and praying again. God, is that really you? How do you want us to do this? What, do you, how, what does this look like? And then they lay hands on them. I love that. Just listening. Barnabas and Paul practiced prayer and fasting in appointing leaders in the church. You know, choose someone to be a leader. We need to hear from God. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, verse 23, appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Mike Bickle says this, fasting is a grace that significantly increases our receptivity to the Lord's voice and his word. If you've ever, um, well, if you're old enough to remember TVs with rabbit ears, right? Some of us remember that. That if you had a very small antenna that two aerials stuck out of the back of the TV and, and depending upon your reception, you had to move those things around. And there was oftentimes a kid, hey, go over and fix the, the antenna. And then us kids would go up and we'd try to get it just right. Oh, no, right there, right there. But then some people said, you know what, if we had a bigger antenna, we'd really be able to get the, the stations a lot clearer. And so then they put these big poles on their roof with these big arrays. And then all of a sudden, TV was clear and then the kids didn't have to do that any longer or get the, the tinfoil out to try to make it all work. Anybody remember that? I'm sounding old, aren't I? I earned every single one of these gray hairs. There is this increased antenna, if you will, that when you're fasting, you just, things become clearer. The noise of the world begins to fade and the voice of heaven becomes clearer and clearer. Number seven, we're almost done. Fasting is a reminder to my body that my spirit's in charge. Does your body ever need a little like, hey, you're not in charge here, buddy? Mine does. First Corinthians 6. I'm taking you all around the Bible today. Verse 12. Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I'm not going to let my desire for ice cream mean that I'm going to eat ice cream three times a day. I'm going to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, exercise self-control. And Richard Foster says this, about this. Our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks and fasting keeps them in their proper channels. If one show on Netflix is good, 10 must be way better. 
If one donut is good, a whole box must be better. We think that if a little bit is good, a lot will be a lot better. And as it turns out, that's not the case. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about going into the games, into the Olympic games with strict training. And training and running in such a way to win. And in verse 26, he says, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I, I beat my body. I, I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I will not be disqualified from the prize. What's happening here? He's saying there's some things that you have to discipline yourself for so that you can do the right thing. So you will win. You'll live this life the way that God wants you to. And that means sometimes you got to make sure that your body understands you're not in control. You're not the boss. Body needs to be reminded every once in a while. You're not in charge. And our desires stay in check. Last reason. Fasting reveals my inner need by dethroning food. Are you a foodie? The older I get, the more I love food. The more I discover, and in this day and age, you can't just like coffee, right? There's a whole culture around coffee. It's a wonderful culture, by the way. All sorts of kinds of coffee and how it's brewed and and how it's prepared, you can even get coffee beans that have been eaten by cats and pooped out and then sold at a very, very premium price as your coffee beans. Do you know this? It's a real thing. Sorry if it just grossed you out. I'm just trying to make sure you're awake. For us, once again, a little bit is good. That means a lot must be better. And yet fasting helps us to understand, no, food is not going to be what drives me. Some of us, I'll, I will identify here. Some of us wake up in the morning and go, what are all the foods I'm going to eat today? It's going to be great. Especially if I know if I'm going to go somewhere special, like, oh, I can't wait to have the such and such, Right? And that's good. God made food. We're supposed to enjoy it. He's all about feasting. We'll talk about feasting in in later weeks. But it can rival the throne of my heart. Justin Whitmull early said this. I love this little quote. The point of fasting is not the technicalities of it. The point is leaning into the lack. And this can be done in many ways. All of which are radical acts, especially in America, In fasting, we deliberately move downward into emptiness and we admit that we can't eat or work our way to happiness. We need God for that. I think he makes the point really well. Fasting exposes what's in our hearts. We talked two weeks ago about draining the lake and all of a sudden you find these treasures at the bottom of the lake. And it's that same way with us as we're fasting. All of a sudden, we begin to see some of the not-so-nice parts about us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm fasting, I'm not so joyful, and I'm a little bit irritated, and I'm a little bit frustrated, and, I'm, and all that stuff's bubbling up. Because we're not using food 
to dull our desires or numb our feelings or make us feel happy or satisfied. One last quote by Early. When I fast, I see that deep down, I'm actually not a very patient person after all. I'm not actually a very content person after all. I'm not as independent and as strong as I thought I was. I'm weak, I'm impatient, angry, an angry person who medicates with food and drink, and this is painful to confront. Yet to live without fasting is to live without knowing who I truly am. Whoa. When I read that, I was like, oh man, I need to think about practicing fasting more often. So how do you apply this? Very simply, you don't eat food. However, going a little further than that, it is uh, not okay for you to do what I saw on the internet, and that is to get a, a shirt that says, currently fasting from people. All you introverts are thinking, that sounds like a good fast. That's not what we're talking about. That's not how we're going to apply this. So first of all, talking about a Lenten fast in these 46 days, you choose something to fast from, and you deny yourself for six days, and then on Sundays you get to enjoy that food or that thing. You can also choose to fast to something. So let me give you an idea. So here's what I've decided to do for Lent. I've decided to fast from my little computer games that I play on my iPad before I go to bed. I will mindlessly play solitaire and my little strategy games, trying to tell the villagers all where to go. By the way, I don't make a very good god. I keep destroying the village over and over. But this is a time that I spend every single night like clockwork, and I've decided to fast from that, spend a little bit of time praying, and then I'm fasting to journal. Why? Because I don't journal very often. But when I look back on the times when God has really been speaking to me, I'm writing. Now, what do you mean by journal? Well, I'm glad you asked. So during worship, I went ahead and journaled a little bit. And I just wrote down the things that were coming to my mind. So I was thinking about Psalm 121. So this is just, just going to give you an idea. So this is what I wrote down. Lift up your eyes. Where are you seeing evidence of my faithfulness? Okay, you can, you can see that I'm, I'm writing down what I think God is, is saying to me. Lift up your eyes, Andrew. Where do you see my faithfulness? Where do you see the evidence of it? Where did your help come from? That's an allusion to Psalm 121. And then my response was, the creator God is our source of strength and relief from the weariness of the world. And then I said, yeah, that's, that's what's right. And then I wrote a little prayer. Jesus, I choose to run into your arms knowing that you have rest for me. You have rest for my soul. And then I looked at the psalm because I thought, oh, the Psalm 121's in my head. So I looked at it. And then I just wrote down the things that I was thinking about it. As I climb this mountain, you won't let my foot slip. When I fall, your hand is already extended to help me up. Thank you that you never stop watching over me. I'm never alone. Bring to mind the stories of your faithfulness. I will choose to trust you, Jesus. That's not going to be published. It's just my thoughts, my little prayers. You don't even know when it's like supposedly God speaking to me or me thinking. It doesn't matter because my heart is filled up with what God's doing in me. 
So I'm fasting from my little computer games, which are not redemptive at all. Not, they're not wrong, they're not bad, they're just not great. And I'm replacing them with something that's helping me meditate and put words into my feelings. So that's what I'm doing for Lent. And you can choose a number of different things. You don't have to choose food. You can choose social media, television, whatever that is that consumes you, that if you said no to it, you would begin to refocus on prayer and being more focused on spiritual things. Some other ways to apply this, uh, this rhythm of fasting is fasting a meal. So maybe you'll replace your, your, um, your regular lunchtime with a fast. Therefore, don't just work through lunch. That's not fasting. That's just working through lunch. If you're going to fast a meal, then spend the time with God. Journaling, worshiping, praying, spending time focusing on him, reading your Bible. You can do a full fast where you have no food except maybe water, or oftentimes people do juices. The juice place here in town has like a whole regimen of fasting. You could kind of utilize their research on this in order to help you. You can do a partial fast. You can do a Daniel fast. You can read about that in Daniel 10, which is like basically veggies and water only. You take sugar out of your diet. You can do a longer fast. I've never done more than two days myself, but I know that um, those of my friends who have done longer fasts have been incredibly blessed by them. Um, this is about pushing away the distractions. This is about focusing and positioning your heart on God. So one last story. So a few years ago during Lent, and I've only been really practicing the idea of fasting and Lent in this season for like about 12 or 13 years. It's kind of new for me. If, if you're like me, this is kind of new to you. Like, I don't know about this. I'm still trying to figure this out. So this one year I decided I'm going to fast meat. I'm going to go hardcore. Look at me. So I've, I stopped eating meat. Man, about the second week, I'm so cranky, so irritated, so frustrated, trying to figure out what to eat, Don't, not get enough protein. And I'm like, God, I'm really bitter and frustrated about this Lent thing. And he asked me a simple question. He said, did I ask you to fast meat? Uh, no, I'm going to go with no. I don't know about you, but I think that there's a real grace in fasting. And I, I believe that whatever you choose to do in this Lenten season or in your regular rhythm, maybe you, you pick one day a month and you say, this is going to be my day to fast. Or one day a week where you say, this is my day, my 24 hours, I'm going to fast. Uh, I encourage you strongly, ask the Lord, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Because he will give you grace for what he's calling you to. And whatever you decide to be a hero about, he'll let you do it. You just won't have the same kind of fruit in your life. So learn from me and my mistakes um, that as you approach fasting, realize that there is a grace from the Lord for this and it does lead you into a beautiful place. So if you'd stand with me, I want to pray for you. Prayer folks, if you'd come down front. It would be really easy to make fasting into like this really pharisaical, legalistic thing. And it's absolutely the opposite. It's this personal, beautiful, drawing close to God's heart. And yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch. 
Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit like, can I do that? And then you see God come through. In the same way that we've talked about Sabbath and resting for 24 hours, knowing that God's going to sustain you financially and other ways. And the same way as you fast, you're saying, God, I know you're going to sustain me and going to help me through this. So Jesus, thank you that there are ancient rhythms that we can step into. I pray that you teach us by your spirit and lead us into what we should fast and how we should follow you in it. And I pray against just that legalistic thing that tries to sneak into this. And I pray, God, that you would really make this such a sweet season of being with you where we're more sensitive to what your spirit's doing and that you're imparting new things. You're giving us new strength and you're giving us gifts through your Holy Spirit to be able to move forward. So I bless you, Jesus. Thank you for this season of changing our rhythms. Thank you for the fruit that's already born, and thank you for what will come. I bless this family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you later.